Again, that last song uh, was on me. My apologies to the instrumentalists and to the congregation. These things happen when uh, you're pretending to be a song leader. So, um, but then you love the songs. Well, Karen and I were practicing them at home. And I, I know you couldn't tell, but we, we practiced them at home. And I, I couldn't even get through the second one. I, I couldn't get through that one uh, without, you know, breaking down. So I pray, I hope, that when God is high and lifted up, it affects your heart like that. I pray that He's real to you and He matters more to you than anything else. And you just absolutely love to sing His praises. Uh, so, last week we watched five men become disciples of Jesus, or we could say simply they became what later became known as Christians. We saw that discipleship is not some higher level of Christianity. It is Christianity. We saw with just a handful of words, Jesus called John, Andrew, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel, and they all went. I shared with you a, a quote that I have written in the margin of my Bible. Some preacher said it. I don't know who. But when Jesus asks us to follow him, he's asking us for nothing less than the rest of our lives. Now, we made that point. I don't think your average Christian, at least in America anymore, actually thinks like that. I think that, you know, Jesus says, follow me. Well, I'll go to church when I can. No, that's not, that's not, what, that's not what's happening on the pages of Scripture. That's not what's happening. He's calling for the rest of our lives. And we posed the question last week, how did these guys do it? How did they just go? How do you just go? It was the primary point of the sermon last Sunday. Does anyone remember the how of it? Does anyone remember the how of following Jesus? Anybody remember? Believe. You don't believe in some church-going way. You believe like, try and stop me from following this great God, right? That's how you believe. It's like a dare to the world. Try and stop me from following my Creator, and my Redeemer, you couldn't stop these guys. And I was thinking about this healthy church thing that we've been talking about for most of the year. You know, we have to understand about the how of genuine following. If we don't understand the how of genuine following, we'll end up doing all kinds of stupid things. We'll start building our gospel invitations upon psychological and emotional appeals. We'll start appealing to felt needs instead of the, the, the spiritual urgency of being reconciled to God. We'll start moving our worship services toward entertainment. And apart from adulation of God, we'll turn preaching into counseling and we'll make Jesus into a life coach. If we don't understand what it really means to follow and how to follow, if we don't understand this, we can't be a healthy church. We won't be a healthy church. We'll be little more than church attenders. So I think this is urgently important for us. And I do, I do want to share with you those two quotes that um, I shared with you last week, these two famous Englishmen. C.S. Lewis writes, he puts his finger on the issue here. He writes, once a man follows God, how could he not live forever? Of course, we get that. Those of us who are born again, we understand. 
But once a man refuses to follow God, what can he do but wither and die? Right? There's nothing left. If you spurn Jesus Christ, if you play religion with Jesus Christ, mere religion, there's nothing left for you but to wither and die. We remember Oswald Chambers' challenge to us. God brings us to that place where he asks us to believe and obey. It's, it's, those, are, those, those, those terms are like almost one. I don't know Greek. Probably Brad could tell us something cool about it in the Greek. But to believe is to obey, and to obey is to believe. It's all the same thing. You know, if you're out in the world and you're not obeying, then you're not believing in a salvific way, in a way that matters. You know, we don't just have good doctrine. We're not just orthodox. Yes, we are orthodox, but orthodoxy will bleed out into the life. Chambers says, God brings us to that place where he asks us to believe and obey, but too often we begin to debate with him. That moment becomes a great crossroads in our lives, and we have to decide, and I love this line, for God or against God. Right? When you're out in the world, almost every day, no matter what comes across your desk, you're going to have to decide for God or against God. In every relationship, for God or against God. In your occupation, for God or against God. In your internet surfing, for God or against God. I mean, it's a never-ending proposition. Simply, to be a Christian is following God or not. And if one has decided not to follow God, what, else, what, 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 what could possibly be said? Wither and die. That's what you have before you, we must decide for or against God. I brought it up last week, Isaiah 65, 1. It's always Isaiah 65, 1. God says, I'm here. You decide. Yahweh's implicit invitation, Genesis through Revelation, you decide. Here I am. You'll never get a better invitation than that. You decide if you believe me, if you love me. And if you will, obey me. It is the final and essential issue for those five guys in, in, in John 1. They believed. They believed. And I'm going to ask you at the outset, have you believed? I want, I want to ask you, have you believed like they have believed? That's what believing is. It's not some denominational formula. This is what believing is. We see here on the pages of Scripture. What did they believe? They believed everything. They believed Jesus was everything. And everything else was after Jesus. Everything else in their life was after Jesus. Their family was after Jesus. Their career was after Jesus. Their money and their, their portfolio, it was after Jesus. They believed they were looking at the Messiah. <laughs> they believed he spoke trillions of galaxies into existence. They believed that he was the thrice holy God who judged the whole world with water. They believed that he was the wrathful God who utterly annihilated the nation of Egypt and the Canaanites as well. They believed that he is the God before whom the earth trembles and the mountains melt like wax. This is what they believed. This is why you drop everything and go with him. This is how you do it, because you believe these things are true. 
They believed that He was the Son of God. The Holy One of Israel. And while these words had yet to be written, I'm pretty sure they were thinking about the stuff that eye has not seen, nor ear heard, and that has not entered into the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love Him. Man, you look at Christ and you can't help but let your heart and mind go there. This, this God's going to fill my soul for a billion eternities. Right? No competition here. I give myself utterly and completely and totally away to Him. That's the how of the following, believing that Jesus is who He says He is. You know that great, I always love it, I always love it. John 8, 58. Before Abraham was what? I am. Right? God's, Jesus said it in a, in a multiplicity of ways. I'm going to give you two more. John 10, 30. I and the Father are one. They believed it. John 14, 9. He who has seen me has what? Seen the Father. You know, you get all these knuckleheads on YouTube saying, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Oh, I beg to differ. Multiple, multiple times throughout the gospel, he claims to be God. He claims deity for himself. Now, if deity says to you, follow me, what are you going to do with that? You're going to spurn that? And people do it every day, don't they? And people attend churches every day. And they keep God at arm's length. They attend church, okay. You know, I want to be seen. It's good for business. I like my friends. It's good community. But God is at arm's length. You know, there's no real intimacy and love going on there. So what is the viable option? If, if, if this God says, follow me, you go. You go. With complete abandon, you go. Just like we saw these five men do in John chapter 1. So this is the commitment of a disciple, a Christian. We utterly follow Christ. All the rest of life are mere details. <laughs> is this not true? <laughs> you know, Christ, you follow Christ and everything else, these are details in how I'm going to follow Christ. These are just minor details. Now, I'm not trying to make light of things, but ultimately, these are minor details compared to a billion eternities with God. Compared to who He is and what He deserves from us, which is all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength in this life. No compromises with Him. So, the commitment of the Christian is absolute. And why can we make that commitment? That's really the message. You saw, you saw the message, the title of the message is His Commitment. Well, so I give it away. How can you make a commitment like that to Jesus? Oh, guess what? Because He's utterly committed to His people. He's left nothing undone. He is totally, completely, absolutely committed to you. If you're His. If you're His. He's committed to you. <laughs> this great God is committed to you. This God we were just singing about. If you've read your Bible a little bit, um, we understand that 
triune God has made a total and absolute commitment to his people. Now, I, I, you know, there's many, many places I could go here, but my mind went to Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Christ Jesus, who existed in the form of God, he's God, did not regard this equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Now, can that be said of you and your Christianity? Are you emptying yourself? God emptied himself. I mean, it's the commitment here on the divine side is simply staggering. I'm going to continue in Philippians 2, 6 through 8. He was, being, he was made in the likeness of men. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Isn't this shocking? Is it not shocking to you? Well, I know it's Muzak to some. I've heard it since I was eight or six or three. I've been, I was raised in the church. So it's music to me. It doesn't move me. But if it doesn't move you, you've got work to do. You've got work to do. How can it not move you? This is a shocking commitment from the everlasting to everlasting Alpha and Omega galaxy breathing God. And his commitment to us elicits and drives our commitment to him. It's why he hates lukewarmers, right? He doesn't know what that is. There's nothing lukewarm about Yahweh. Of course he hates lukewarmness. Don't bring it to me. I don't know what that is. Because when I love, I love all the way, right? I love infinitely. Gosh. His, his commitment is absolute to you, beloved. His commitment is absolute to you. I shared with you last week that we used to remind the, the young people in Milan, the, the students as they graduated, and they would leave us each spring. And I would challenge them about their commitment to the Lord and about that whole rest of your life kind of thing. But you know, the commitment he asked from us is not quite like being nailed to a tree commitment, is it? It's really not quite like that. His commitment to us? You know, again, I just say, how can we not? How can we not? How can we not follow him with all of our, with all of our capacity and ability? How could we not? God's commitment to his pe people, again, it's supreme. It's supreme. It's infinite. It's what God is communicating all through the Bible. And this reality changes everything for the true believer. We have license to give our lives away because he has done that for us. So Yahweh has made an omnipotent commitment to his people. It's why we can happily follow him. In, in, in thinking comprehensively about this, I, I, I have a short outline. I don't do this very often, but I have three points I just want to make. Uh, two, two briefly, and then the third one is really the point of the message. Um, I think we have to consider three things here. One, Yahweh's person. We've touched on this a lot, so I won't, I'm not going to belabor it, but, but, but Yahweh's person. Why can we commit? Because of Yahweh's person, Yahweh's power, and then Yahweh's promise, right? This is, why, this is why we can go. This is why disciples go. This is why we can follow. 
Because who he is, right? Because of his power and because of his promise. You may recall that we thoroughly discussed the person and power of God during our study of his attributes late last year. If uh, you want those sermon notes or audio, I can arrange that for you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, review all of that. It would be impossible. Time would not allow. And while I'll spend most of my time this morning on these promises of God, I do want to briefly touch on his person and his power. We, we, we all need to be reminded. How can, I, how, can I, how can I really just go with Jesus, right? How can I go with Jesus? Let's talk about that just a little. Of course, when I'm thinking about the person of God, my mind always goes to those middle chapters of Isaiah. I think around chapters 40 to 46 where God says, I'm God and nobody else is God. He just actually says this. And I'll read a couple of verses to you. I'm God. Nobody else is God. It changes everything. Listen, what we have to try to do is break out of this, this academic and theoretical mindset of God. Right? You know, a lot of people theoretically know he must be there. They academically know he must be there. But that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about that. We're talking about following him. It's a whole different kind of thing. Those middle chapters of Isaiah, Yahweh says, To whom then will you liken me? I am the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator. I am the first and the last. I am the Lord. That is my name. I am the Lord your God. I have created you. Why? For my glory. And beloved... You're, you will glorify God either in hell or in heaven. His wrath and justice and righteousness will be glorified in the condemnation of the rebel. He's made us for His glory. Before me there was no God formed and there will not be any God after me. And there's no Savior besides me. I am the one who is declared and saved and proclaimed. Even from eternity I am He. Is there any God besides me? I know of none. Now, I know I hammered that point probably a couple, three, four weeks ago. But I love it. <laughs> and this is God's person, right? There's no other God but me. Do you hear him? There's no other God that can get between you and him. And if you decide to follow him with all of your life, no one can frustrate that. Because there's no other God but me, he says. And I love that. He says, I don't know of any other God. <laughs> I, love, I love the humor here, right? I don't know of any other God. He says, there is no other. Besides me, there is no God I am the king of the world. He is the king of kings. So regarding his commitment to you, it's, it's, it's done. Because of his person, his commitment to you is inviolable. It's done. It can't be revoked. It can't be changed. It can't be nullified. It's done. It's complete. 
His commitment to you is complete. He will fulfill it. He will fulfill it. It's His person. He has no rival. He has no colleague. He has no peer. He is God. And nobody else is God. I noticed in my preparation in Isaiah 40, 26. Um, let me share it with you. This is why I'm going to His power, okay? Listen to what He says. Isaiah 40, 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created the stars. The one who leads forth, who leads forth their hosts by number. Because of why? Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Missing. What is, what is one of those names for God, one of those beautiful Jewish names for God? El Shaddai. What does it mean? He's the Almighty God. And when you go outside and you look up into the starry heaven, you're supposed to hear the sermon. He's an Almighty God. And there's no God beside him. He's the Almighty God. He is El Shaddai. Not just in name, but in deed. Beloved, every night is a sermon. Every clear night is a sermon. Every clear night is your license. It's your license to go. It's your license to follow. So I'm just going to give you some data, as my English, pardon me, my German friend says, data. So I'm going to give you some data. It's staggering. You know, Brad and I love the science. Well, the science will drive you to your face. It'll drive you to your face on the floor. If you actually start to take in some of these facts, you don't have to be a scientist, but you can be in awe, right? So I'm just going to give you a couple of things. Uh, the data. It's estimated that there are one septillion stars. How many zeros is that behind the one? Anybody know? 24. This is not planets. These are only stars. One guy said it's likely that there are 10 times more stars in the cosmos than grains of sand upon the earth. Maybe that gives us a little perspective. I don't know. These numbers are mostly meaningless to us. us, us. Our brains don't work at this level, but Yahweh's brain, or pardon me, shall I say, mind does. It works at this level, septillion level. The, observ the observable universe has a diameter of 28.5 gigaparsecs. I don't know what that means, but I'll tell you what it, I, I looked it up. It, it's 92,954,567,649 light years. And a light year, of course, is 6 trillion miles. That's how big the observable universe is. And we all suspect it's much bigger. And I always love what John Piper says. Hey, this is a peanut in God's pocket, right? The cosmos is a peanut. All of this unquantifiable power. It's a peanut in his pocket. And just for some scale, maybe we can relate to, I don't know, maybe we can grapple with this. A million Earths will fit inside our sun, but five billion of our suns will fit inside the largest known star, which is UY Scuti. These numbers are beyond our comprehension. And this is what I want to say. 
Just like the power God brings to bear in keeping His commitment to His people. It is beyond our comprehension. It is beyond. Do you see why I wanted, uh, do you see why I wanted the young adults to get all of this? Because I wanted them to be free in the world. You know, you got those 20-somethings with masters and PhDs, right? And, and you just want to set them free in the world, you know, to, to, to wreak havoc in the world order because they love this God and they believe this God and they'll follow this God to the ends of the world. Beloved, the cosmos is preaching. Every starry night is a sermon. God does not intend for you to look up and feel nothing. Shame on you if you're, if you're out of this discipline of watching a beautiful moonrise or a beautiful sunset and not feeling that, the awe of that, the beauty of that, and just, you know, extrapolate the genius of the one who spoke it into existence. We're supposed to recognize the presence, genius, and power of our Creator at every turn. This power that's visible, again, unquantifiable. Unquantifiable. And as Habakkuk 3.4 suggests, that all of this visible power is the hiding of Yahweh's power. And again, all of this power sits behind every promise God has made to His children. All of this power and infinitely more. God is irrepressible, unstoppable, invincible. No one, no thing, no group of people can keep God from coming to the defense and aid of His children. You and God are always a majority so yes, the true believer believes what the Lord has said, that he does not become weary or tired. <laughs> I, was listening to, I was listening to, I think it was MacArthur preaching about Elijah this week. And you remember uh, the, the priests of Baal were crying out to their God and he wouldn't answer. You remember what Elijah said? Well, maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe he's fallen asleep or gone on a trip. <laughs> Yahweh says, I never become weary or tired. Isaiah 40, we believe that his dominion is everlasting and that the nations and inhabitants of the earth are nothing before him, Daniel 4. We believe that, that no one can frustrate his plan or turn back his stretched out hand, Isaiah 14. We believe that, that glory and power forever belong to him for our Lord God omnipotent reigns, Revelation 19. Beloved, when you, when, you, when you see the genius and power of the created order, this is your light. This is, this is just a clue. This is an earnest. This is a, a hint that you, you can follow Christ. These are just the things He speaks into existence. Who knows what He can really do if He puts His back into it? The created order is to fuel our confidence in His promises. We believe that God is, that the God of one septillion stars will never desert nor forsake us. You heard Brad read Hebrews 13, 5. We believe that, the, that, that, if, the, that if the God of, of one septillion stars is for us, 
Who can possibly be against us? Do you understand what I'm saying? We're supposed to be set free here. How can these guys just walk off with Christ because their freedom is in who he is and the promises he's made to them? So let me stop and ask you, do you believe like that? God, God doesn't say, I'm pulling for you. I'm rooting for you. He's, he doesn't say, I'm for you. He says, he does say, I'm for you. God says, I'm for you. I'm not just rooting for you. I'm for you, right? I am for you. So we've touched on the person and power of God. Now I just want to spend the rest of the morning talking about a few of his promises. I, I, I suspect that I will do an inadequate job here, but at least it will be in earnest. The declarations and promises in these passages are for Christians only. Christians who are following. Okay? Christians who are following. They are not for anyone else. They're not for anyone else. So these promises are spoken by the one and only true God. That's His person who has no peer. The God who holds invincible, omnipotent power. That's God's power. Now, I want to touch on God's promises. And what, what is the point to all of this? All of this buttresses your freedom to go with Him. Okay? All of this buttresses your license to give Him the rest of your life. The God of one septillion star says, 2 Chronicles 16, 9, For my eye, listen, <laughs> you know this famous verse, My eyes move to and fro throughout the earth that I may strongly support those whose heart is completely mine. It's like, bam! <laughs> what else do you need to know? <laughs> right? Isaiah 41.10, he says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. There's another promise. Why can we count on that promise? Because he's God and there are no other gods. Because he has all power. And he has no rival in that respect. Isaiah, Isaiah 14, 27. Isaiah asks this question, Who can turn back the outstretched arm of Yahweh? This is, what, this is, this is our mental calculus, right? When we're out in the world and we think we're going to have to shrink back, this, this should be part of our mental calculus. My God's for me. He'll never leave me or forsake me. He's bringing all of His power to bear in this particular circumstance. So I can stand and be a believer, whatever the circumstances. I can stand here and believe God with my actions and my words, right? I will not shrink back. Listen, listen, you've got to make up your mind. You've got to make up your mind that you're not going to shrink back. It's the easiest thing in the world to do is to shrink back. It's just punt. You, you, you got to get the mindset of, I will not do it. I don't care what's at stake, I will not do it. You know, this is part, should be part of 
our prayer life. And we've, we touched a whole lot on the love of God the last few weeks, so I will not belabor it except to say that His love for us is omnipotent. You guys know Romans 8, right? No one or no thing can separate us from the love of God. He says, not death, not life, not angels, not principalities, not things present, not things to come, not powers, not height, nor depth. Nothing can separate me from my people and the love I have for them and the commitment I've made to them. Nothing. Nothing can separate that. And a lot of people miss this. Uh, I've noticed uh, in the Gospel of John, if you stay through the Gospel of John ten times, Jesus says, these are my people and I will not lose one of them. They are a love gift from the Father to the Son. Read the Gospel of John. My people are a love gift from the Father to the Son. Do you think he's going to lose any of them? Do you think he'll lose one? Do you think he's misplaced one? Do, do, do you think he doesn't know exactly what's going on in your life right now? Do, do, do you think he doesn't, you know, know the struggles you have and the difficulties you have and maybe the persecutions you have? you think he doesn't know? Of course he knows. He's going to make much of himself through it as you honor him in it, right? What a beautiful opportunity for us. God passionately loves and is wholly committed to his adopted children. He withholds no good thing. <laughs> he says stuff like this. I gladly give my people the kingdom. Luke chapter 12. I freely give my people all things. Romans 8. I am blessing my people with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Ephesians 1. And then of course the Holy Spirit calls us co-heirs with Christ. It's astonishing really. You think about it. It's astonishing that most, I'll, I'll just keep it in America, just the wholesale lukewarmness in the American church, by and large, and even worldwide. How can we be lukewarm with these kinds of promises from a God like that, the one septillion star God? You guys know Romans 8, 28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, those called according to His purpose. You know, we, we were Zooming with the Europeans yesterday and somebody brought something up and, you know, the why question comes up and it's like, please, please, please stop with the why questions. Let's just look at God and trust God, right? That's what we do. We look at God and we trust God. I don't have to know why. Well, I ultimately do know why for His glory and our sanctification, right? But I don't have to know anything else. Well, why did my baby die? God is sovereign. And he's doing something you don't understand. Can you just let go of it? Obviously, for those involved, there's weeping. And grief, of course. This is human emotion. God allows us to express that human emotion. But we rest on him. We stand on him. He's our rock, right? He is our rock. So in the trial, right, our confidence is God as long as, you know, and the beautiful thing about every trial that comes to you, as long as God's been God, He's known about this. He's been working on this. In fact, He ordained this. Nothing's coming into your life that He didn't ordain on the far side of eternity past. I hope you think like this. And I hope when it shows up, you realize that that's true. This is not bad luck. 
I got a whole sermon on luck. I'll preach it to you sometime. Christians don't believe in luck. We don't need it. Right? We do not need it. And you know those great promises in Romans 8, 29, and 30? God's sovereign kindness, you know, to, to pull us out of our own rebellion and bring us to himself. I'll just read a couple of verses here. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to, to be conformed to the image of his Son. And whom he predestined, these he called. And whom he called, these he justified. And whom he justified, these he glorified. What I've always loved about this, it's all past tense. It's a done deal. These massive promises in Romans 8 contain virtually every other promise in the Bible. I think Romans 8 maybe is the pinnacle. I don't know. Dr. Vade may have a... It may be the pinnacle of a chapter of all Scripture. I don't know. Um, it's pretty amazing. Quickly, Jeremiah 32, 40 and 41. Listen to God. Yes, He made this promise to the Old Testament Jew, but it's for every believer. It applies to us. New Testament Christian. He says, I will make with them an everlasting covenant... He's made that with us, the new covenant. That I will not turn away from doing them good. I'll never turn away from doing them good. When, on the day you can't cry anymore, He's doing you good. The question always is, do you believe it or not? It's always the question. Continuing, I will put the fear of me in their hearts, which is the greatest gift God can give us, that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good. God rejoices in doing us good. <laughs> of course, you have so many blessings, you can't even begin to count them. But, you know, I know what you're thinking about. It's the three things that aren't right. It's the three things that aren't perfect in your life. There's a gazillion things that are, and I'm going down to the cell level. I will rejoice in doing them good, listen to God, with all of my heart and all of my soul. Do you have license? Yes, of course you have license. Can you go with Christ? Yes, of course you can go with Christ. In fact, you have no excuse not to. I'm going to say this again. I know I beat this, I know I beat this word to death. I know I do. But to say you're a Christian and not go with Him, it's, it's just backhanded blasphemy. It's, it's, it's just saying, I don't think you're God enough. I really don't think you're God enough to believe and obey right in this, in this particular situation. And you guys know the, the, the intra-Trinitarian prayer life. John 17, 9, Jesus prays to the Father, I do not pray on behalf of the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, the Son's praying for us. Romans 8, 36, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Again, Romans 8, 34, Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God interceding for us. You know, after I read these texts, I always like to do the math. How many members of the Trinity are praying for you? Can you count it? Two! This stuff, this stuff makes me crazy. It's just so big. It's just so big. I always like to ask this question when I'm thinking about intra-Trinitarian prayer. If the prayer, of a righteous uh, the prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much, James 5, 16. Oh, guess what? How effective is the prayer of the Spirit and the Son? Okay, just quickly, some of David's, this is David's confidence in God, okay? 
from the Psalms. I'm not going to give you the reference. If you want it, I'll send you my notes. The Lord is my shield. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, in whom I take refuge. In the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. He will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. He is my hiding place. He preserves me from trouble. He surrounds me. With, I love this. With songs of deliverance. Don't really know exactly what that means, but it sure does sound beautiful. God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. For you have been a refuge for me, a tower of strength against my enemies. Let me take refuge in the shelter of your wings. God is a rock of habitation to which I, uh, to which I continually come. Psalm 62, 5 through 8, I'll give you that one. My, my hope is from God. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. On God my salvation and my glory rests. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times. God is our refuge. <laughs> this is how little boys kill giants. And whatever else you got going on in your life. Right? And you got to love Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst. He's a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in His love. He will exalt over you with shouts of joy. I mean, this stuff, this stuff is just so big. You know, it's just so big. Don't ever let your Christianity be ho-hum. Please, if you're in the ho-hum region, you just got to repent. You just got to repent. The psalmist tells us, Psalm 149, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. Psalm 147, the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him. Psalm 35, the Lord delights in the welfare of his servant. Beloved, God is with us. He's a warrior for our victory. He is not half-hearted. He is utterly committed. A healthy church has to know this. Right? And you know, Brad and Joe and I, and I know most of you, hey, we got a handful of people here. But you know what? God could blow us up. You know why? Because we love Him beyond all description. And we hold this. We hold to this. Right? We're going to preach every word. And it honors God, right? So, we'll see what it pleases Him to do. So what do we do with all of this? You've already heard me say it. Everything. We do everything with all of this. This is not, this theology I'm sharing with you is not just for contemplation. It's to animate our lives. No more half measures with God. If you're guilty this morning, no more half measures. If you're still living like the world, I exhort you to, to stop. You're supposed to live like your God is the God of one septillion stars. Like your God is the king of the world. This is our freedom. This is our license. We don't apologize to anybody. They'll hate us. That's okay. He told us they would hate us. Let them hate us. But He loves us. He loves us. And I always have to go to Hebrews 11. This is the, the passage where God blew up my life. He said, Jim, go to seminary. I said, I can't go to seminary. I got this problem and this problem and this problem and this problem. God, I got all these problems. He says, I'm your rewarder. Do you believe that? 
I'm telling you what, if you believe God's a rewarder, Hebrews 11:6, you have complete and utter freedom. If you, believe he's, if you believe he's a rewarder, you have absolute freedom. And he freed me up. <laughs> Do you see your God as a rewarder? He says he is, and he promises it to you. Is it real in your life? Is it spilling out of your life? Don't you want to live like that? You know, God says to those guys in Hebrews 11, I'm not ashamed to be called your God. Don't, 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 you, want to be, don't you want to be one of those guys? Don't you want to be one of them? So what are we supposed to do with all of this? Everything. Every, every single thing God has called you and I to do. Let me close with Isaiah 43. Just some excerpts. Thus says the Lord your God, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. We are free, beloved. How does, how does John 1 work? How does it work to just to believe and go? And how, how does it work to give the rest of your life to God? That's how it works. We believe He is who He says He is. We believe He can do what He says He can do. We believe every last promise. What are we supposed to do with all of this? Everything. We're supposed to do everything. If the God of one septillion stars is for us, beloved, who could possibly be against us? Let's pray together.